Your Excellency, Mr. Sam Kusia, President of the General Assembly, Your Excellency, Mr. Ban Ki-moon, Secretary General of the United Nations, Your Excellency, Nasir Abdulaziz Al Nasser, High Representative for the Alliance of Civilization. Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank the President of this General Assembly, the Secretary General of the United Nations, and the High Representative for the Alliance of Civilization for your leadership in convening this high-level thematic debate on a very important agenda item. Thank you. <clears throat> you are looking at a miracle. By all medical expertise, I'm not supposed to be alive. On November 12, 2003, I fell dead of a massive heart attack in the airport in Sydney, Australia. I was clinically dead 45 minutes. They administered CPR, resuscitation, and they gave me 10 electric shock treatments to my heart. In the United States, they give three shock treatments and they stop. In Australia, they give four shock treatments and they stop. They gave me 10 electric shock treatments to my heart. The blood had coagulated already in my hands, in my arms, in my feet, and my legs. There was absolutely no hope for me at all. I was just a corpse. They took my body and put it on a stretcher and carried it to an ambulance. And the paperwork had been finished, and it was DOA dead on arrival at the hospital. But in the ambulance, on the way to the hospital, when all that medical science knew to do, and with all that was at their disposal to administer, it did not work. But in the ambulance, just a corpse lying on that stretcher, Jesus stepped on board that ambulance and my heart began to beat and the breath came back. The driver was startled. The paramedic was startled. He told me later, he said, I have never seen anyone recover from what has happened to you. This all happened November 12th, 2003. After several weeks in Australia, I returned to the United States to my home by myself because I was totally healed. In 2004, I went to a hospital in Jackson, Tennessee for just a major checkup and they gave me a complete blood lipid profile triglycerides, LDLs, HDLs, cholesterol, etc. In a couple of weeks, I went back for the results. And when I walked in, the doctor looked at me and he said, your results are absolutely excellent. He said, but Reverend, 
we now can check the DNA in a person's body. We decided to check your DNA. He said, when we check your DNA, he said, when God raised you miraculously from the dead, he removed the APOE genome genetic marker for heart disease out of every cell in your body. He said, that is impossible. It's impossible. He said, only God could do such a thing. He said, when God healed you and raised you up, he totally, miraculously healed you. So I am grateful today to be alive because we know, having been clinically dead for 45 minutes with no breath and no heartbeat, I asked the paramedic later, I said, Nigel, what happened when you shocked my heart? He said, it would beat three or four times and it would stop. We know that after six minutes or less, with no oxygen to the brain, there is irreparable brain damage. But God has totally raised me from the dead. Finally, a doctor looked at me and he said, you have defied all the laws of medical science. I looked at him and I said, I didn't, but I know the one who did. His name is Jesus. I am an apostolic Christian. And my message here to you today is this. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, chapter 2 and verse 38, it says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The answer, Your Excellencies, to the violence in our day and to the human atrocities in our day is Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace. I give you Jesus. God bless you. Easter is a time for Christians to celebrate the ultimate triumph of life over death in the resurrection of Jesus. And for all of us, it's a time to reflect on the part that Christianity plays in our national life. The church is not just a collection of beautiful old buildings. It's a living, active force doing great works right across our country. When people are homeless, the church is there with hot meals and shelter. When people are addicted or in debt, when people are suffering or grieving, the church is there. I know from the most difficult times in my own life that the kindness of the church can be a huge comfort. Across Britain, Christians don't just talk loving thy neighbour, they live it out in faith schools, in prisons, in community groups. And it's for all these reasons that we should feel proud to say, this is a Christian country. Yes, we're a nation that embraces, welcomes and accepts all faiths and none, but we're still a Christian country. That's why the government I lead has done some important things from investing tens of millions of pounds to repair churches and cathedrals, to passing a law that reaffirms the right of councils to say prayers in their town hall. And as a Christian country, our responsibilities don't end there. 
We have a duty to speak out about the persecution of Christians around the world too. It is truly shocking that in 2015 there are still Christians being threatened, tortured, even killed because of their faith, from Egypt to Nigeria, Libya to North Korea. Across the Middle East, Christians have been hounded out of their homes, forced to flee from village to village, many of them forced to renounce their faith or brutally murdered. To all those brave Christians in Iraq and Syria who are practicing their faith or sheltering others, we must say, we stand with you. This government has put those words into action, whether getting humanitarian aid to those stranded on Mount Sinjar or funding grassroots reconciliation in Iraq. And in the coming months, we must continue to speak as one voice for freedom of belief. So this Easter, we should keep in our thoughts all those Christians facing persecution abroad and give thanks for all those Christians who are making a real difference here at home. On which note, I'd like to wish you and your family a very happy Easter. 2020 continues. Is there proof of heaven? Once again, Elizabeth Vargas. Eight million Americans claim to have had a near-death experience, but neurosurgeon Eben Alexander never thought in a thousand years he would be one of them. What did you think those were? Fantasies, hallucinations. He was a man of science. He didn't believe in it. That is, he says, until it happened to him. Let's talk about how you got sick. You woke up in the middle of the night feeling ill and in pain. It was like being struck by a freight train. 4.30 in the morning, woke up, never had anything like that before. My last words to my wife, don't call 911. You know, Trust me, I'm a doctor, it's just a muscle spasm. And, and I was gone. Dr. Alexander had a rare and deadly form of bacterial meningitis, which was infecting his brain. In a matter of hours, this healthy man was on death's door. By the time they got him to the hospital, he was in a coma. So your wife was being told that you might die? And that she would be raising our two boys without me. But as his body lay in that hospital bed with no recognizable brain activity, Dr. Alexander says he had already begun an astounding journey. A journey to a place he'd said didn't exist. Did you believe in heaven? When I was younger, I thought a heaven and a loving God made sense. But through my academic neurosurgery career, um, I saw less and less that that could be the case. The journey began, he says, in a dark, formless place without memory, language, or time. But then... I was rescued from that by the spinning melody of light that came closer and opened up and was a, a rip in the fabric of reality that just opened up around me. Y you described this world as hyper-vivid. The colors were extremely vivid with millions of butterflies and these flowers blooming, blossoms opening as we flew by. And by his side, an unknown presence. There was a, a person guiding you, a, a, a beautiful girl, as you describe her. Can, tell me what she looked like. She had a beautiful face with a, a, a wide smile and uh, high cheekbones and absolutely gorgeous, clear blue eyes. She never said a word to me. She would look at me and the thoughts would come directly into my, into my mind, into my awareness. What thoughts? And the thoughts were, you are loved 
you're cherished. There's nothing you can do wrong. I always remember being told, we will teach you many things, but you'll be going back. Back to the hospital where his wife kept her vigil and his doctors were giving up hope. On the seventh day of his coma, he opened his eyes. It was just nothing but a miracle. His first words, the very words he'd heard from his guide, that blue-eyed girl. All is well. Don't worry, all is well. Within weeks, Eben Alexander had made an astonishing full recovery. How are you different after going through this experience? Well, my family says I'm nicer. Uh, <laughs> That's I would a good say, thing. Uh, really has changed me in every way by realizing that our souls are eternal. The book he has written, Proof of Heaven, has sparked a lot of controversy. You know you do have skeptics out there who are just saying it's not uncommon for people near death to have all sorts of funky things going on inside their bodies. Well, that's why the fact that I had meningitis that was so severe, I mean, that should not have allowed for any experience. And then this with the eyes oh, just shows how... His brain was so way, completely way, shut down that the visions he had could simply not have been generated there. He says he wrote down everything he remembered, now in his book, before speaking to anyone, so as not to taint his memory. You then went on to read about other people's near-death experiences. Was it striking how similar what you had written was to what they had experienced? It was absolutely astonishing. I really felt the white light was God. I stopped walking and I saw my grandma. You could see peace, you could see love. And all the other afterlife stories, everybody told of being guided by a loved one who had died. You had as your guide a girl you'd never met. I must say that was very haunting. Why would I go through all that and not have my father there? My father, who was a neurosurgeon, I idolized him. And he had passed over four years earlier. Why wasn't he there? And why the blue-eyed girl instead? Dr. Alexander had been adopted as a child. Years later, he found his birth family, all except for one, his birth sister, who died before he met them. Her name was Betsy. How old was she when she died? She was uh, 36 years old. So Betsy you'd never met? I just heard what a beautiful, loving soul she was. How she, how she worked in a, in a, a rape crisis center and took care of many people who were unfortunate. And she was just very loving. Mm -hmm. loving person. How was it that you came to see a picture of her? My birth sister Kathy had promised to send me a picture of Betsy and it was about four months after my coming out of the hospital when that picture arrived. He opened the envelope and saw it for the first time. The photo he says was of that blue-eyed girl from his vision. And it was so stunning. And that picture was almost as if she's saying, do you get it now? And I cannot tell you how powerful that was. There was no mistaking it. That's exactly who it was. 
Life is back to normal at the Alexander household these days. There are soccer games to watch, dinners to be shared, grace to be said. But Dr. Alexander says he's on a mission now. I hope to tell my story to everyone I possibly can around this world because I think it will help this world to be a much better place. Tony Davis was a young rhythm and blues singer who followed the path of many aspiring musicians. I moved from Orlando, Florida to Los Angeles seeking to sing R&B. Tony's dreams of stardom just weren't coming true, so he turned to God for help. I went to praying right there. I said, something got to happen. I know, God, if you're real, please help me. Help me get out of this. I gave my life to Christ right there. I changed my life around. And I said, you know what? I want to start singing for the Lord. I want to do gospel. Tony started a new career as a gospel singer. He thought his life was back on track. That is, until the night he went to pick up his wife. I came just to pick up my wife from work. And when I pulled up to the house where she worked, bullets started to ring out from behind me. The first bullet hit my left leg, my thigh area, and I turned to run. And as I turned to run, two more bullets followed and hit, hit my leg again. And I ran and I fell down beside my car. And all of a sudden, another young man came from the other side, the front side, and he started to shoot me all over again. A bullet hit my right side thigh area. Another bullet hit the ground and came up through my leg. All of a sudden, the bullet went across my face, my chest, and I said, enough, in the name of Jesus. And a young man was standing behind a tree, and he had the gun pointing towards my head. And I said, why? What have I done to make you shoot me like this? You don't even know me. What have I done? And his hand began to tremble, and he lowered the gun. At that point, I knew I was going to die. It was too much blood. One of the bullets shattered Tony's main artery. He bled to death right there on the street. His wife, Criselda, ran outside when the shooting stopped. When I went there, he was, um, he was laid out shot in his blood. I actually saw myself that the ambulance was giving him CPR and inside. I asked to go with him and they would not take me because they was doing CPR to try to bring him back. I started to float towards these clouds. Um, these clouds opened up and through these clouds I saw this huge city. Um, it was so strange, but the city was beautiful, man. Was, I saw these colors I've never seen before in my life. These strange, just glowing colors, radiant colors just glooming out of, of this huge city. All of a sudden this voice said, it's not yet your time, go back. And I'm like, no, 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 no way. They said my name, Tony. Your work is not yet done, go back. The doctor had already pronounced him dead. I opened my eyes and I looked up and I was on life support. This thing was in my throat. This long tube with a trait was in my throat. And this doctor was standing over me and he was about to throw his sheet over my head. But he dropped the sheet and he ran out the room. Doctors and nurses ran to his room. They was checking me and they couldn't believe. They said, you know, you was dead for 30 minutes. And usually when you, you know, after a few minutes of death, you, you know, they expected me to have brain damage. Tony was alive, but the doctor had some disappointing news for him. 
And the doctor was telling me, we sorry, but we had to cut your throat immediately to try to get air into your body. So we cut your throat and we mistakenly cut a piece of your vocal cord. So what we can do at this point is um, we can put a box on the side of your throat and you can talk through this box. And they told him they may have to amputate his left leg. And unfortunately, the artery put in your left leg is not working properly. It's not sitting right in the leg. I was mad with God because I asked God why did he let something like this happen to a good person that's trying to serve him. But Tony says he held on to his faith in God. I've served God in spirit and in truth and in, in, in that I believe that he's going to show up and heal me. I believe that Jesus said by his stripes we are healed. That's in the Bible. And I believe that he's going to heal me and I'm going to stand on that only. Tony prayed for a miracle and says he got it that very night. And all of a sudden I felt this warmthness come into that room. It came into the room, a, war a nice warmthness. And it touched my leg. And I felt it go up to the artery. And I felt like stuff was being mingled together in my leg. And all of a sudden it went up to my throat. Tony says that while God healed his body, he was also working on his heart. You must forgive is what God said in my spirit. And I'm like, no, you got to be kidding me. Why should I forgive those guys that shot me like this? And he said again, you must forgive. And when he said that, I said, you know what? This is a choice for me. I'm going to forgive. It's not a feeling, but it's a choice. So therefore, I forgive. Police told Tony he was probably the victim of a local gang initiation. I really strongly believe in my heart that it was a miracle because the way that my husband was shot, it's, I, I see that people comes in the hospital when he was in there with one bullet in their, their body, they died. He had five bullets and he, never, he didn't. He died, but God brought him back for a reason. Tony is still singing gospel and says that wherever he goes, he wants people to understand the power of God's love. I know and I truly believe when the scripture says that not even death can separate us from his love. I think about how he touched me and brought me back to life, how he gave me my joy back and my strength back and my faithfulness to him. It just, I mean, I'm just totally overwhelmed with his grace and his mercy.